0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash Rushmore. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player.
1: Oh, oh holy night. Oh, holy night. <laughs> Stars are shining bright. It sounds like Adam
0: Sandler as Cher, there is, as Opera Man. <laughs> there is a lot of vocal similarity
1: between the two if you get down to it.
0: Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friends Richard, hello, and Michael. Howdy, Richard and Michael. You know what they do? They talk, and when they talk, the things they say out of their mouth don't always agree with the things from the other guy's mouth. And this episode, the thing they talk about is the Mount Rushmore of non actors who turned into actors. Richard, you chose it. I did. Why? Oh, uh-huh. all right. No, good I- enough. No, I don't know. I,
1: I, I'm I, sure I was... I, I, in fact, I was watching a movie involving I think probably my first choice and it sort of just got me thinking about the idea that I think acting is one of those professions that if you're, you can be famous for something else and then just kind of fall into acting. Yeah, like Mr. And, Bob
0: Uecker. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, and... <laughs>
0: why Bob Uecker? I do sorry. <laughs> I was trying also, to say what your first choice was. Also <laughs> my first choice. No, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't. wasn't.
1: Um, but and then you've got you know, however many thousands of people here in Los Angeles who would give a, you know, a limb yeah. to yeah. get a book a gig. Yeah. And if you're very lucky, look, it's hard to be good at any one thing. I think, mm-hmm. with, as we prove on this podcast on a <laughs> weekly basis, but it's when you have somebody who can be well known in one field or not have training as an actor and then suddenly be really very good at it. Yeah. That's that's unique.
2: I think you also have an interest it seems at times with like duality. I know another right. pick of yours for that we might do next season is um musicians who are more famous for things other than their musical output. Right, that's about that's going to be tough to put on yeah. the Twitter by the way. <laughs> it's another, that's another yeah. yeah. that's another one that eats up a 100 and 20 characters. But like I think that there's like maybe you get into a headspace when you're like thinking of categories or you think of things that like like the dual nature of people or like people that have been something else that mm-hmm. I don't know. I i wonder how much that I wonder how much like secretly that influences things.
1: Huh. I don't know. Do I or do I owe you money for a copay for a therapist visit <laughs> know, after maybe. we're done? I don't know. <laughs>
0: uh this is a compelling topic. I have a lot of opinions on this. I'm not afraid to speak about them, but I will not start before you start. Michael, Richard chose you start. I
2: have four categories this week. Uh. Uh, a dancer, a musician, an athlete, and a miscellaneous. So, Wait,
0: Rita Moreno is all those things. <laughs> That's true.
2: <laughs> okay. My first choice is Alexander Goodenough. Oh, cool. The uh, oh, yeah. Russian ballet dancer, Yeah. who uh, later had a uh, spin as an actor for in some... Th- Really yeah, great roles some good in the 80s. Too. Was he like, related to Boris bad enough, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a member of the uh, Bolshoi Ballet mm-hmm. Company in uh, the USSR. And then in uh, 1979, while on tour in New York City, he defected, he defected to the United States to become an actor. Wow. Well, I don't know if to become an actor, but to become a dancer, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that eventually led to acting. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. He became the hunt for Red October yeah. in human you know, <laughs> huge bulging tights uh, form. Or a or less hairy Moscow on the Hudson.
0: So I'm thinking of him in uh, Witness. He was yeah, also he had, in Die he Hard, had Hard, right? Die Hard?
2: three great roles uh, in Witness, The Money Pit, and then Die Hard. Yeah, oh. He's the maestro from The Money Pit.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, that's um, the first movie I ever walked out of, so I don't know. Oh, really? <laughs> huh. Yeah. Huh. Go back and watch it. He's okay, he's, del- he's delightful as like this foppish. Um, oh, it's fun. not as bad as you remember it. No, no. Uh, no I, I Would you say he was also on The Muppets? He was on an episode of The Muppet Show. Was he? Two, yeah. Oh.
1: (laughs) No, you're thinking... uh, Wait, are you thinking of... Uh, (laughs) Barishnikov? Barishnikov,
0: Or
2: Nureyev or something? Apparently, he had a big falling out with Barishnikov. Oh, okay. He was part of, like, the American... um, What was it? The American ballet theater? He got caught stuffing a little too much in his (laughs) cut piece. (laughs) Uh, What I liked about him is that, like, he played three very different roles in... What in in like his three big movies? He had a little, you know smaller parts and other things, but mm-hmm. like, uh, in uh, Witness he played you know a Amish yeah uh, farmer and kind of like the main rival for uh, uh, Harrison Ford's character. Mm-hmm. Then in The Money Pit he was like this very extravagant uh, you know uh, orchestra conductor yeah who was the rival for Tom Hanks's character. Mm-hmm. Then in Die Hard he was like this killer yeah. Uh, you know, terrorist German, was he German Russian German? I think, and played the rival. So basically, he's a good rival yeah. character. Carl, no, you mean? Yeah, no matter no matter what kind of vehicle he is in, whether it was uh-huh. like a comedy or a action, yeah, thriller, or even like kind of a more subdued. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was always like the oh, uh, he's. Uh, you know an antagonist not necessarily an antagonist but like the yeah uh, somebody to play off of he's definitely got
0: these heroic proportions he was tall and attractive Mm -hmm. and and imposing
2: i wonder if it being the 80s too, him being russian there was something that was just in inherent like there was just like an otherness to him or like a a, oppositional element
0: one thing i think is cool about that is um they didn't ever have him just kind of do a little dance step in those parts. <laughs> you know, it's right. normally speaking, when and you I hire a dancer. And I don't
2: think he ever played Russian either, which is kind of yeah. strange. I
1: was going to ask, and Witness, did he have like an accent? I, I haven't seen Witness in like 30 years. Mm. Did he have an accent or I something? I don't know that he spoke that much. And he had, Well, he's like, Amish, so he can't speak.
2: They had kind of like, is that how that works? It was like, you know, a, a Dutch or a Dutch-German Amish yeah. community, so there was a bit of an accent there, but they all kind of spoke with like, mm-hmm. it, it kind of always sounded a little yeah. strange or off or nothing you could kind of there wasn't a particular accent you could kind of put your finger mm-hmm. on. It was always like, oh, okay, those are weirdos that don't use buttons.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a neat first uh, choice. Um, I, I do love it because it's, uh, it's very much in the 80s and very much something associated. I, I almost, the next step would almost want to be to go with, uh, I don't know if anybody chose this, but like Adolf Lundgren, who played this kind of, who was played Russian, but was. <laughs> He wasn't was, actually. He was British, I think, or was it? What? He was, no, sorry, no. He was. He's like, like Norwegian. Norwegian, he, yeah, okay. Swedish or something. Yeah.
2: So, uh, uh, also, like a rocket scientist. He's yeah, apparently Ful- brilliant. Fulbright scholar speaks like eight languages or something yeah. insane. So
1: Jeff, uh, Michael, I'm, I'm before we move on. I'm curious why you chose why you did choose him and not
2: uh, Barishnikov. Uh, I don't know. I can't. I can't think of a single movie that Barishnikov was in. White Knights. I don't know what that is. What? Yeah, White Nights. With
0: Gregory Hines. Gregory Hines. It's a good movie. You should check it out. Yeah. All right. What else?
1: Recommendation. Check out White Nights. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Mount Rushmore Podcast recommendation service. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Haven't seen a movie? He was in uh, Sex and the City last season. Eh, Okay, Richard, what's your first? All right. So my first one, this was the uh, actor who I was thinking of when I kind of came up with the topic. Francis Albert Sinatra.
0: Ah. Chairman of the board. The chairman. Old Blue Eyes. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Mr. Singing Guy, yeah, I think that's what they called that's him. As a, well. one was his last nickname? Yeah, it was yeah, one of his last yeah. ones yeah. as on his deathbed. It's interesting. I, I mean, Sinatra was not the first singer turned, you know, actor necessarily. Yeah, I think he might have been one of the first ones to be a singer turned good actor,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, we, 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 and where he played parts. You know, you might have like a Mario Lanza or something like that, like an opera singer where suddenly every role he has is as an opera singer. Mm. Yeah. But Sinatra, I mean, he became, you know, he won, he won an Academy Award, was nominated for another um, Academy Award. He was somebody who became an actual actor, not just a musician who was sort of playing at acting. Yeah. And, and, and I was doing some research. I Roger Ebert did a... Uh, basically, I think after Sinatra died, he did a kind of a eulogy for him. And one of the things he said that's, like, he, look, he made 60 movies, a lot of big box office hits. But he was never, he. it was never his main thing that he did. Yeah. Like, at no point, and there's someone else on this list that I'll get to that kind of decided to make acting their main profession for, mm-hmm. a, good, for a good chunk of their career. Mm-hmm. For Sinatra, it was always this sort of sideline gig. And he did, you know, 60 movies. So, Sometimes the quality level is a little, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, especially once you get past Manchurian Candidate, mm-hmm. those like '60s type movies, ones he did like post yeah, Ocean's Eleven type stuff. Yeah. Yeek. Did Did he do like westerns too? Like I don't know. I think. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm Italian. I can tell you there aren't a lot. There weren't a lot of Italians in the Old West. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on. really hard to get a good plate of pasta fengoli. Fung-
2: that's <laughs> 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 not what spaghetti westerns were all about, right?
1: <laughs> you, you, don't let's. Uh, that, that, that's kind of stereotypical. Please let's, hold on. I'll t-
2: just call them pasta <laughs> <laughs> westerns. Uh, looking down his like filmography, real quick. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Sinatra is Dirty Dingus McGee. What? <laughs> that's that's like a porn movie. <laughs> That's like that's like Frank...
1: Frank... Big Frank's Sinatra or something like that. It was also
2: one of... Uh, one Dean
0: of, Martin turned down the rules so I thought ring-a-ding-ding. I'd ring-a-ding-ding.
2: It was also one of uh, Daffy Duck's uh, <laughs> relatives. <laughs> Donald Duck's relatives. Dirty Dingus McGee. Yeah.
0: Scrooge McGee. Dirty Dingus McGee. Um, yeah. I, so you're saying that his... He didn't have a broad range. He wasn't offered a broad... Well, I don't think was he was even... didn't a, choose it.
1: I don't think... Yeah, I think partially is that he didn't choose to have a broad range. Yeah. Of movies. I think he was somebody who worked really fast and wanted to just for the most part just make a movie you know didn't want to do more than a couple of takes yeah and well
0: bing crosby was like that too like right. they they had multiple irons in the fire so, right yeah. yeah
1: and so a lot of times he would work with directors who were younger more inexperienced someone he could basically boss the fuck mm-hmm.
0: around yeah sinatra his biggest success as a performer was this character frank sinatra True, Because he had elevated himself from this 95-pound little wimpy little guy to a Bobby Soxer heartthrob. And then he did that a few times because a while after the British invasion and all these, you know, he was persona non grata with all the other crooners. Well, even before that, the 50s. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a plot line in The Godfather about this guy coming to beg for uh, a part in this movie. Johnny Fontaine. yeah, Yeah. And that's Frank begging for from here to eternity, I think.
1: I'm sure never happened. Any, anyone who is listening to this in my family that may be connected, never happened. Never that, that happened. role, <laughs> That part, that thing, never, Jeff, you understand, never
0: happened. As God is my witness, uh, it but, never happened. I, <laughs> God forbid somebody should fall down a flight of stairs. I think the parts that I really
1: appreciated from him the most, is even something like mentioned from here to eternity, He's basically playing Sinatra. I mean, that character is kind of just like this sort of like good time Charlie, kind of like jovial yeah. sort of character. But it's stuff like Manchurian Candidate or Man with Golden Arm, which is him being a junkie jazz mm-hmm. musician. Or a movie called Suddenly, where he is a basically a, a psychopath assassin who's trying to uh, murder the president. Where he's actually forced... So get away from that natural charisma, yeah, and have to actually branch out and be something yeah. else and I think that 's something with a lot of musicians who wind up i mean there 's more musicians who probably wind up as <coughs> there 's probably more musicians who wind up as famous and good actors mm-hmm. than any other profession, and I think it 's just because if you're like if you 're a modern singer musician, you have to be charismatic yeah. right you can 't just sort of be wooden on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to sort of be able to tell a story. Yeah. Right. And and you mentioned uh, Alexander Goodenough Mm -hmm. as a as a ballet performer. That's what he had to do, even if it wasn't with words.
2: Yeah, he had to be a duck, or he had to be the wind, or he had to be a a giant nutcracker, or the Rat King. I've only seen one ballet, and it's, it's the Nutcracker. By the way, guys. I couldn't figure that out.
1: Or Sinatra, who is you know probably the greatest. Uh, interpreter of lyrics in modern music history, yeah. in modern music, mm-hmm. you know, that's what he's doing. He's yes. acting. He's playing the part of Sinatra, mm-hmm. or he's playing the part of. You mentioned him playing the part of Sinatra. In this case, he's playing the part of whatever you know lyrics. You know that yeah. you know, Johnny Mercer's and right? each oh.
0: song, or Jimmy Van Hughes, and yeah, Van Cole Hughes Porter, and any in, in, in each Moore. song, especially a song where he's forlorn, lovelorn. There's no woman in my bed. There's no beer in my cup. There's no whatever. Bullshit. There's seven <laughs> women in your bed. Right. <laughs> There's seven bottles of wine sitting on your... With seven your bottles reading. of Johnny Walker, yeah. yeah. Okay,
2: Michael, you're up. Uh, my second one is... My second one is a musician who isn't actually a singer, but it's Carrie Brownstein... Oh, who yeah. uh, went on to uh, do some has some really good comedy yeah. chops Amazing. on uh, Portlandia.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> Sleater Kenny was known for their humor. For their stand-ups. Yeah, for their humor, yeah.
2: <laughs> What's the deal with guitar picks and yeah. such?
1: Practic- practically Weird Al. <laughs> uh,
2: she was a member of the band Sleater Kenny, as uh, Richard just mentioned, that started in 1994 with um, uh, Corin Tucker and Janet Weiss. and they From played-
1: Olympia. You know, otherwise, known as the music <laughs> hotbed, also the comedy hotbed of Olympia,
2: Washington. <laughs> and, um, really, if you, I mean, she was just like a guitar player in a band for the yeah. most part. Um, around 2003 or so, she met Fred Armisen at an SNL after party and they kind of hit it off and they started making like videos together for close to 10 years under the name, um, hold on, Thunder Ant. <laughs> I don't know where, like, <laughs> That's comed- so awesome. comedy, uh, teams, comedy groups yeah. come up with their names. It's just like it seems like, okay, grab grab two words, put them together.
0: Are yeah. they kind of divergent? Are they... That's how re- LA restaurants name themselves now. You take two things you can buy in a store. Milk bread. <laughs> and so, or salt. Drano. Pork. Well, yeah. what yeah. happened is
2: the first, you know, there was the run of just calling it by a single word. Yeah, So you would just go to eat at salt. And then they're like, okay, we ran out of single words. Yeah. No, it's milk bread.
0: No, it's milk bread. Um, so they did these videos. It yeah, wasn't they, a show. It wasn't yeah, a pilot. It was, they yeah. start.
2: They basically just started realizing... Like she did a little bit of writing beforehand. Mm-hmm. She was like... She did interviews and she kind of wrote for Slate Magazine a little bit. Oh, okay. And I think that she kind of discovered that she had some additional like improv comedy yeah. chops. Yeah. And uh, some of the stuff from Thunder Ant developed into Portlandia. Mm-hmm. Like the... Uh, the two, the women and women first, yeah, uh, uh, feminist bookstore owners yeah. and a, a few other things, but it's, I think it's amazing to, comedy seems to be the hardest thing and to be a natural at it, uh, that it, it it's kind of amazing. Like if you're just say, oh, she, you know, she was just a guitarist and then she also has this other side of her, yeah, that is like, wow, holy moly! It's mm-hmm. like learning, like it's also learning when like a comedian. Is also a really good uh, musician
0: yeah, too. Fred, 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 Fred
1: Armisen, for example. Yeah, he's like an incredible former, former drummer for John I <laughs> yeah. think it
2: was. Yeah, I uh, think
0: you, uh, one one point that you made that I will support wholeheartedly is that comedy being more challenging than drama. Yes, and, uh, I think because in dramas, which are officially with which, which traditionally show somebody going through a crisis, they're often sad. They're always very personal. Um, you can always deliver a line you a only, little slow. Yeah, nobody. People can say that's not funny, but they can't say that's not sad or that's not serious or that's not a crisis <laughs> for the person. So, and I think
1: you can. I think you can almost edit someone to be okay dramatically. Yeah, like you can work around it, even if it's not the best performance. Yeah, it's just because of the timing you need. I, I think it's harder to edit.
2: I I read that a lot of the stuff on Portlandia is something like 90% improv. They kind of have like their bullet points for what they want to do with a scene or whatever. And they're like, okay, let's, let's eventually get there. But then she and Fred and Uh all the rest of the cast are just kind of improving through it, which is like another great talent Mm -hmm. that like not a lot of people have. I think, you know, you watch like the Disney channel kids, like, be funny on like the Disney Channel. We, we were recently at Children's Hospital having my son's yeah. lip surgery. So, we were sitting in like the, the waiting room and like they only had Disney Channel on. And like the kids being funny, we're just like, oh, it's so painful. Yeah, you're using, you, using funny in, in the air quotes. Yeah, point. you are, you guys are, you were reading stuff and just like reacting with big eyes. And yeah. I guess that's. There's
1: a Disney Channel show called Walk the Prank. Ah, that uh-oh. my daughter had gotten into for a little bit. And it's basically like a punked type. Mm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically picture a bunch of 10, 11-year-olds obnoxiously pulling pranks on, quote-unquote, unsuspecting people and having to improv their yeah. way around. Oh, God. Miserable. Great,
2: Miserable. Great improv is impressive, but like, you know... Bad improv's awful. Yeah. three three <laughs> three camera comedies are like, okay, There's there's a room full of people that have work these same
0: jokes over and over yeah
2: it's just different i don't know you
1: can't really fake improv yeah
0: right uh richard what is your second choice
1: all right my second choice also a musician and again i had wanted to not have two musicians but there were just too many and i couldn't i couldn't see how i couldn't add share to the Cher. list yeah um
2: just couldn't fake, i mean if I, you can turn back time if i you could can turn back time uh-huh. i could, change your selection to bjork so that's fine i could
1: <laughs> but i won't mm. So I was thinking about whether or not she belonged on this list. And I was actually thinking of her or Dolly Parton. And I love Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. Dolly Parton has basically made two good movies in her life. And a couple of uh, okay ones. And then a lot of crap. Uh But she's she's great in the crap. Even like the crappy Lifetime, Smoky Mountain Christmas type bullshit. (laughs) She's fantastic. Yeah, I mean... Lee Majors as the Mountain Man may not be carrying up his holding up his end of the mm-hmm. bargain, but she's fantastic. Like you want to watch it just because it's Dolly. Yeah. But then I started thinking about Cher. like, and I thought, well, she had like kind of a, a you know she had a few big movies in the '80s, but did she have a lot of bombs and do like the quality like the the uh, the the, the yeah. hit to miss ratio? Was Her kinda television
0: off. work, I would say, was of its time. <laughs> you feel like you're when right. you watch. The Sonny and Cher show, or Sonny and Cher—it's like whatever. watching uh, your show of shows. And like, yeah, huh,
1: I, I can see why this was really important and groundbreaking in the fifties. Yeah, not very good here. Yeah. But here's the thing: I went through and I looked, and I was—I was dead wrong. If you look at the stretch from like eighty-eighty-two, she did her first real movie, which was uh, "Come Back with Five and Dime," Jimmy Dean. Mm-hmm. So, which was an Altman film. Mm-hmm. Then a couple of years later, she does. This is in order, so there's no—I'm not taking any of these out. Like there's movies in between, Silkwood, yeah. Mask, Suspect, which is an underrated with a movie with a Dennis Quaid, mm-hmm. Witches of Eastwick, Moonstruck, Mermaids. Holy shit, that's
0: like, some great movies. That's
1: yeah. like, and there's no move, there's no movies in between that. Yeah. So, and so she only did maybe movie every year or two years during that stretch, mm-hmm. but they were all good to great movies. Yeah. I mean, you can make a case that she was probably the maybe the biggest female. Film star for a stretch yeah. in the 90s.
0: And she, like wi- Will Smith, recorded a title song for each of those. Because you remember, Witches Always Eastwick. Look at these East- witch owls. Witch owls. I'm on
1: strong. <laughs> Did
2: I ever tell you?
1: I'm oh. a-putting on a mask. <laughs> Rocket dance, come here, boy. I'm saying that you're a suspect.
0: Silk would melt down at the... the Nuclear power plan. Meryl Street, come here.
2: I wish that every movie ended with like a rap song that's surmised. Song. Yeah. Um, somewhere in,
0: in my Gmail. Draft. Yo, Shinla got a list. Shinla got a list. What? What? Who on the list? Get have, on the list.
2: I have a really good song for Minority
0: Report. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Who is rapping? Is it Will Smith rapping on it? No, it's, no, a, it's Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah, the lead, the, lead, the lead has to sing it as well. Oh, sorry. Okay. Is that by law? Yeah. yeah. So, so, but, point, uh, point and, a. And, and I
1: think. She was smart, in that she, in that stretch, she only worked with like really top quality directors. Yeah, Mike Nichols, Peter Bogdanovich, Peter Yates, who did Bullet and um, Breaking Away, mm-hmm. George Miller did yeah. Witches of Eastwick, which I had totally forgotten. It's not exactly a movie I associate with the guy from Mad Max. Yeah, yeah. But there we are. Uh, Moonstruck's Norman Jewison. Mm-hmm. Even you know, even Mermaids, Richard Benjamin, who was yeah. you know a a quality comedy hand. Mm-hmm. So she was just, she was really smart when she was trying to develop her career, I think, that she just did really quality work. Yeah. Problem is, um, after Moonstruck, she got so paranoid about the quality work she was doing that she just turned down parts. Oh. Left and right. Like, she turned down uh, Thelma and Louise. Oh, wow. I think she was, she was offered the Susan Sarandon part, I believe it Mm was. Uh, She turned down uh, War of the Roses. Wow. Part that went to Kathleen Turner. Uh Uh-huh. and then she got sick. She got a, you guys, you guys remember she had like Epstein Barr virus, like the late 80s. So she like basically was fatigued and couldn't, like, can could only do music or film and can oh. concentrate on both. Oh. So then she decided, well, I need a way to make money. So I'll do these infomercials. Nobody will see these things. <laughs> and those goddamn things ran for, t- you know, 10 years. Yeah. And it made her like $10 million, but also probably cost her the credibility she had built up mm-hmm. through you know, a decade of really quality film acting work. Yeah, And she's, that's like kind of the break point where she hasn't done anything. I mean, no Mm -hmm. offense to the burlesque fans out there. Oh, yeah. The burlesque, the burlesque heads. I think what they're called. The leskies. The leskies, yeah. Yeah. No offense to you guys, but she hasn't done anything quality since then. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting to me uh, with her. I didn't, I almost didn't put her on here because she did actually come to LA to become an actress first. Oh, but then she kind of fell into music because she started hanging out with Sonny Bono, who Mm -hmm. was like Phil Spector's right hand man. Yeah. So she kind of fell in with him, wound up singing backup on Be My Baby and uh, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she was like a backup singer for a lot of those Phil Spector songs. Mm -hmm. And then then her and Sonny obviously went up becoming Sonny and Cher and doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So she's almost like this weird thing where she starts off wanting to be an actress and then falls into music, and then is able to get back into acting at this yes. you know, point twenty years into her career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for like a stretch of her career, that's what she's known you know, best yeah. known for. And then she goes back to music, and then continues to have mm-hmm. hits after that. It's it's a it's a
0: weird career. Well, Richard has shown his cards as the editor of the share Wikipedia, which is <laughs> that is fat. I guess sometimes I do wonder. How much was there? How much was Cher really a singer versus a superstar? In her, if you think if if you hear "I Got You, Babe" or some of the early Sonny Cher songs, it's not like she has the a range of like a Leslie Gore or Diana Ross or something like that. Or was she just more the range
1: of an Al Gore?
0: An Al Gore versus
1: "I, I Got You"? I can't
0: do I can't uh, do an Al Gore. What am I doing? I can't I do know. an Al Gore. What the? Fuck? I don't know.
1: No, I don't know. I, I,
0: she was a superstar. She was
1: a superstar. I think she was somebody who's voice was unique yeah um, she's somebody who could do rock could do disco could do mm-hmm. ballads mm-hmm. so I think was able to because of that was able to adapt to
0: changes in styles okay dooders we're halfway through uh, our podcast and this is usually the time where we beg you to download rate and review our podcast but no I'm gonna tell you to go to audible audible is awesome and they're offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give who to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You know, Audible is where you could find Ice, a memoir of gangster life and redemption from South Central to Hollywood by Douglas Century. But this is, of course, about Ice-T, musician turned actor. And I think you're going to like that book because I'm going to actually check that out. And if he were to read it, that would be so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It would be like a law and order. Like like reading what the perp does. Okay. So uh yeah, so go go to Audible. If not for this book, check out the 180,000 other titles that they have. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com/rushmore. Let me repeat that so you can grab your pen. audibletrial.com/rushmore for your free audiobook. And since you're going places, please go to iTunes, please go to Stitcher, download, rate, and give us a review, give us a star, give us some comments. We haven't had any comments in a long time. We'd love to hear what you think about it. And if you want to tell us what you think about it, you can also go to Facebook and join the dialogue there. We, we can, love chatting with you guys. We love yakking We love, I love, you know, seriously, nobody tells us anything. We want to know how we're doing. There, could, there are only so
2: many times we can at the president yeah. and <laughs> be angry with him. Let's right. interact with you. Yeah, let's interact let's with you. Let's be
0: angry with you. On the Twitter, like they're saying, and on the Instagram. So uh, get the conversation with us. And we is back. Who is next? Michael is next. You know, as Marge Simpson once said,
1: watch out for the Shack attack. Oh! I told you to watch out.
2: Um, there are some people.
1: Did, did we just walk into like a wacky morning show or something? <laughs> right. mike has got his own soundboard now.
2: What? When did this happen? There are some people like Cher who can do everything because of their superstardom. Mm-hmm. Then there are those who really just shouldn't have. And my third Why is. Are an you staring athlete. right at me? My third is an athlete. Oh shit! Oh my god, Jeff Hopkins. Oh god, <laughs> I've seen him play kickball. <laughs> uh, my third <laughs> is superstar NBA uh, center, Shaquille Shaq. Did mm-hmm. you know that Shaq is his middle name? Huh. Yeah. Oh, Shaquille Shaq Oh, is O'Neal. it? Oh, I thought
1: you were making a joke.
2: No, no. It's officially Shaquille. No, I'm kidding. Of course. Yeah, the
1: idiot. Uh,
2: Shaquille O'Neal, who, um, you know, uh, is one of those guys who is a big personality guy and really thought it could carry him a long way. And... Whether it's into the realm of uh, rap albums, which were kind of unsuccessful, yeah, um, or as a actor in a few, really, yeah, the only movies that he was good at were the ones where he was playing himself, mm-hmm. and all of those movies were terrible movies too, yeah. Um, but he started three kind of. His three big movies that I guess he was in. The Trifecta. Yes. <laughs> if you're there and you want to watch the Holy Trilogy. The French uh, Lieutenant's Woman, <laughs> Cocoon. I think he played Don Amici. Uh, Blue Chips, Kazam, and Steel. And I think that he thought that... Um, Blue Chips, you can be kind of forgiven for. Where he played basically a brand new basketball player. Yeah. Um, his character's name was Neon Bordeaux. Hmm. Which is... Just that's like so, a, a writer's a wet dream yeah. of a name. Yeah, that's so stupid. Uh, and then he went on to play a genie in you know just like a goofy kids movie. Which okay, no, you're thinking of the one with Sinbad.
0: Kazam. <laughs> that that is like a that's trope now. Like <laughs> yeah, it is. I, no.
2: I I seriously had to think about it for a second. I was like, wait. That everybody. No, thinks, no, 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 no. thinks that, that like, wait. No, Sinbad this is this is a, a movie. man. Yeah, a everyone
1: mean. thinks that Sinbad was in a movie called. Uh, Shazam yeah okay. but they all have it mixed up with in their head
0: with okay. with Jack doing Kazam. Let's that's uh, the uh, institutionalized racism okay yeah
2: and the third one that he thought was going to be a huge role uh, or a huge movie was Steel where he played you know a DC Comics superhero uh-huh. and it was just it was as bad as like the 1990s uh Flash yeah. show <laughs>
0: the the bad uh, uh, Fantastic Four movies. or like Spawn like uh-huh.
2: like there like before like Spider Man kind of hit it big and X Men in like 1999 2000 they did not know how to make superheroes no, Oh yeah, they thought that like there could be like this Batman Renaissance and Batman was only good because it, was it Tim had, Burton it had like a crazy director that had a mm-hmm. vision of it. Yeah. it wasn't just like here's a guy in a you know padded styrofoam suit mm-hmm. punching mm-hmm. things.
1: Or but, they tried to make it very loud. Yeah. Like volume was very much a thing. Volume control was an issue with nineties like like comic book movies.
2: But Shaq was is you know, he's he's a big personality guy. He's mm-hmm. like this big literally big. He's well, he's the big Aristotle and the yeah. big whatever fill in the blank name he likes yeah. to give himself. He's not a big actor though. Yeah. He was kinda bad.
1: He's a, I'm looking at his filmography. There's a lot of as himself, yeah, in this. I don't know. Maybe he may have played himself more than any other person <laughs> in the history. So who did of movies. this
0: better? Did Wilt Chamberlain do dispatch his roles uh, better in um, a Game of Death or something? Yeah, or, yeah, or he was also in Red Sonja or something like no, that. No, yeah, he was
1: in Red Sonja, but he was also in a wasn't Wilt also in a Jackie uh, in a Bruce Lee movie?
0: Yeah, I thought he was a, Is it the one where he fight, fights the different floors? No, that's that's Kareem.
1: Yeah, Kareem's one. at the end, he gets. Uh, he beats him because he realizes he has to wear the glasses all the time because he gets migraines or something. Oh, okay. And then so he just blinds him with blinded by the light, oh. wrapped up like a deuce, another roller. What is night.
2: it about Lakers centers who think that they need to become uh, movie stars as well?
1: Well, I remember Andrew Bynum's film career <laughs> didn't exactly take off. Yeah, it's funny I, as we've been talking. I was thinking about. I think the only, other than other than Kareem is Roger Murdoch in Airplane. The only credible like. Basketball player as actor performance, I can remember is Ray Allen.
2: And he's got game.
1: he got game. He's got game. Yeah. That's Jesus uh, Jesus Shuttleworth. And it's partially it's amazing because, as far as I know, he hasn't done anything since then and he was legitimately great
2: in it. I can't believe you're leaving off Muggsy Bogues in Space Jam.
1: Well, I think Richard. <laughs> I, th- I think we all know that uh, actually, I sh- to be fair, George Mearson and my giant. But <laughs> I, to get back to the Ray Allen thing real quick, I think you know, Ray Allen was a star, but he wasn't Shaq. He wasn't, especially at that point, maybe a, this, a superstar like a that had crossed over into like pop culture mm-hmm. in the way that like Shaq had. So he could do a movie, and it didn't just sort of
2: overwhelm the entire rest of the picture well Shaq because of like his size could only play certain roles
1: yeah Shaq was not going to be the Paul Rudd character in 40 year old virgin you're not going to buy him working in a warehouse at a you know yeah circuit city
0: mm-hmm. I, I do find it fascinating when the stature of somebody or the stature of their celebrity um is meets the artistic intent of the script that they're entertaining, or the project that they're going for, I think all of these actors want to succeed in entertainment, want to succeed in movies, but they're hamstrung by the scope and scale of their actual celebrity, and I think that has n- no chance but actually kind of destroying <laughs> the project. Right. Uh, I was flabbergasted when I read many years ago that uh, an off an officer and a gentleman was developed for John Denver, the singer. What and what then when. John Denver, and, John Denver, the singer. John Denver, the singer. That Muppet-looking guy. That Muppet-looking Not guy. Not John Denver, the construction. Worker. And he had done so well with uh, Oh God, that movie. they um, playing this kind of squeaky so clean he, kind of guy. So wait,
1: was he playing like the uh, the
0: Richard Gere character? What? And then when it was written that he um, he grows up in a brothel and that he um, you know he's kind of selling things to, and he he ends up anyway. He, it was the, too close to home it for was, him. <laughs> the park the park got away. from... With from him, then read Elvis Presley was uh, initially offered the role of Joe Buck in Midnight Cowboy. And Elvis, from the Elvis, at an early, early, early part of the career, said he wanted to get away from singing in movies, he wanted a legit acting career, like James Dean, like the fellow James Dean. Uh And he said, In my next movie, I'm not going to sing in my next movie. Uh, The next movie ended up, uh, he did sing, it ended up changing the name of the movie to Love Me Tender, Uh and he'd always been marketed. Uh, in movies, exactly how he didn't want. He never wanted to be a singer performer in it. Um, he should have. Did he turn it down because he wanted the, ris- the Razzo yeah, 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 yeah. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'll back off. I'm walking here. I'll walk here. Uh, then just today, I was just watching uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and saw how successfully Dave Bautista is cast as the big lug right. in that. I feel like there's a director who. Did a great job of casting this guy who probably has limited acting skills. His size this is is the biggest part of his uh, what he has to offer, right. and he cast him as this kind of tone deaf idiot, right? <laughs> who doesn't get it? So well done, <laughs> well done. Just like under the giant in Princess Bride. Jeff, I'm glad you mentioned giant
1: wrestling lugs. Okay, as actors. My next pick, The Rock. Oh, nice. Okay,
2: isn't isn't wrestling just a form of acting on itself? Aren't you like just like a half stuntman, it half kinda, ballet dancer, half. Uh,
1: well, I think I think Shakespeare. Actor. I think Shakespeare uh, <laughs> wrote some wrote some wrestling back in his day. I think he was a, a showrunner for uh, Yiel WWF.
2: He was in the gorilla position.
1: He was the gorilla position. Um, let, let's 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 look at where the Rock is now. Let's remember, he went from uh, you being, mean actor
2: Dwayne Johnson,
1: Dwayne the Rock. Johnson.
2: That's his middle name.
1: Yes. So let's 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 always remember The Rock went from a man having a sweaty gin sock stuffed into his mouth by another large man. Who okay. hasn't who hasn't? <laughs> well <That's> my dream <laughs> on a regular base, on the regs, to the world's biggest movie star in like three, five years? Mm. I mean, his his arc as an actor and as a a phenomenon was I, I I can't think of anyone else. I mean, there have been, to your point, Michael, in fairness, p- wrestling is performance. And it is almost like we talked about with Sinatra. It is trying to tell a story, maybe not even with words, but with sweaty actions. And so there have been a lot of, you know, there have been wrestlers who have had acting careers or roles, whether it's, you know, Jesse Ventura or... Yeah, Roddy Piper or Hogan tried it. Sure, sure, you sure thing. Uh huh. I said
2: he tried it. He I tried. Say, yeah, he was. Didn't say
1: he was good at it. Well, I mean, are you are you knocking Mr. Nanny? <laughs> Please, but for whatever reason, The Rock was the one who he he
2: he he got it. Yeah, right. And he's the one who just. There's definitely something uh, different something about, about him, him where they keep they also keep trying to force it down your throat. Like you mentioned. Dave Bautista, who's also quite good at that character that he plays in Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know if he's going to be good in anything else that he's acting in. But, like, you know, WWE keeps making these, like, movies. Like, they're trying to stuff John Cena into, or what's the other guy? Who's the... uh, The Miz? The Miz. Was it The Miz? Or there's uh, Randy Orton. They keep trying to stuff these guys that are good as wrestlers and good as acting in that role into these other, like, action star roles and like let's not forget the rock somehow battled through making terrible movies and being in terrible roles and somehow it's like he survived the scorpion king and then he survived like the first three or four movies which are just kind of like he got through it because of he was a wrestler to the point where he's now you know a charming charismatic yeah. huge gorilla of a man, but also funny and mm-hmm. decently good as a dramatic actor, too, I mm-hmm. guess. I don't know. Well,
1: and I think part of the issue is that, comed- that wrestlers are often very funny. Like, it turns out John Cena as an action star, not that, I wouldn't say believable, but just not that kind of great. Mm-hmm. But he's really funny. And he he can do comedy, like with Trainwreck, or stuff he's done on SNL. Yeah, he's, he's a natural comedian. And a lot of actors have that kind of, or a lot of wrestlers have that kind of natural mm-hmm. comedy. But because they're the, these giant, you know, gods among men, you know, physically, that they kind of get put into these roles of these physical kind of action hero type stuff. I think that's something that The Rock did, was smart about, was that he didn't just do those type of roles early in his career. Yeah, he had like the Scorpion King mummy type stuff. But then he had, like, uh, The Rundown, which is another pro tip, really good movie, him and Sean William Scott. It was kind of a a buddy action comedy thing. He did something like Southland Tales, which I don't
0: think Mm. was very good, but it was, like, this kind of experimental... Walking Tall had some drama to it. And,
1: uh, you know, he was in Be Cool, which was the Get Shorty uh, sequel, sequel, which Mm -hmm. I don't think was very well-received, but I think I remember him being, like, singled out as a highlight. Like, he was kind of like this comedic role as a... I think he was, like, a, a... bodyguard type who was a was also gay but also wanted to be a country western singer yeah yeah so
2: country western western's coming back into this thing again
1: <laughs> i don't know if he's ever played a cowboy though but again and he's somebody that
2: from a physical standpoint
1: shouldn't be able to play a lot of type a lot of characters he can't play because he's just never you're not gonna believe him but i think he's been able to still have an almost everyman quality for being somebody who is like 6'3 and 250 pounds yeah. and like has you know a bicep that's bigger than my you know whole entire mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. It, it, it Look, he's like the perfect goddamn action star, right? I mean, like you you almost couldn't in a lab create a better action star than than Dwayne Johnson. He's like Tom Cruise, except without all the Scientology like like yeah. baggage bullshit. Mm-hmm. And he runs just as well <laughs> as Tom Cruise, which is important. Yeah. But you you just, like, in terms of charisma, in terms of being able to to be credible in the action scenes, obviously, but also being able to bring comedy to it, bring a little bit, enough dramatic range when he needs it. You couldn't create a better action
0: star.
2: Michael, uh, my last one is the guy that was like the proto The Rock, which is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, that's Uh, a good
1: one. I always had that. Yeah,
2: it's good. Where he kind of paved the way for what The Rock could become. I'm I think The Rock is a better actor in general than Arnold. I don't know if he's necessarily as funny as him, but he basically like before Arnold burst onto the scene as after becoming after he was, you know, a world class he was the best the best. Mm-hmm. The champion, most successful. Yeah, most successful bodybuilder yeah. from 1960 like 5 until he retired in 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was Mr. Olympia 5 times in a row and he was Mr. Universe. Wait, and Mr.
1: Olympia, did he know uh Kerry Brownstein?
2: Ah. That's a nice, I mean, nice comment. Look at that guy. Yeah, Bringing it all thing. the way around. Here's the thing. Uh, you know, there wasn't anyone that looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movies. There weren't movies that were about these overly muscled men.
1: Well, there were, but you had to go like in the underground <laughs> to buy them. <laughs> and not that I know anything about that, but... But he, he
2: broke through in a way that uh, Any, n- no one else really had. Yeah. He he was the first like action movie star.
1: Well, I mean, there's uh, there was like Lou Ferrigno, but he was you know playing he was just playing a monster, monster or yeah. like know, it was like Steve Reeves like a uh, bodybuilder type. I, I'm
0: hearing what you're saying. There, there, he did not play mythological characters or monsters. Although the first well, Conan, right? Well, like, well, the first one was Hercules was in New York. Hercules in New York, York. where all of his all of I his, think his dialogue due to his was charm. Dumped. He was able to play every man like in. Um, the twins. Mars, Mars, yeah, twins or like he, yeah, I think he, we saw beyond his body type. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think he's interesting because really the first time most people really knew about him wasn't in a dramatic film, but it was in a, a documentary, Pumping Iron. Yeah. Which I know you've watched uh, before it, and seen, and oh, of course, yeah, yeah, and and so like really, he kind of almost was able to create a persona for himself through that, mm-hmm. a kind of a. An, Gateway into yeah. his who he was before he actually started acting. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wonder if that made it easier for him because people saw him as this very charismatic, like you know, rock star type guy, which almost like The Rock in some
0: ways. I do think of, of a role like Conan as being a prototypical muscle man role, like Steve Reeves would have done. But then Terminator is a little bit different than that, and so playing that bad guy and playing a robot or whatever got him into the door into sci-fi and stuff.
2: It's funny that we earlier you we mentioned like uh, Shaq playing these roles where he couldn't play anything else and Arnold was somehow able to maneuver around them. He yes he did play these giant roles where he was you know these you know Conan the Barbarian or Conan the Destroyer where like for that character you had to look like Arnold. Arnold. Yeah. And, you know, he's basically playing He Man. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he could also somehow finagle himself into a kindergarten cop role. Yeah. And I think we joked about it on another podcast where he just kind of, you know, with one line of dialogue, you yeah. right away his accent
0: and I'm like, allergic to spinach, <laughs> it makes me swell. Oh, okay. Let's move on. Right. Glad to have you on the force, Mackenzie.
1: <laughs> or the thing where they always have to explain his the, accent. Yeah. Why why where he yes, came, I came over about here this from. Video? I watch yeah. a lot
0: of Dutch television. <laughs> Oh, Okay, O'Flaherty. Well, I we got to get these donuts across town by noon. I spent time
1: in the army with my dad, who was in the army in Germany. Yeah. That is why I sound like this, yeah. even yeah. though I
0: am all American. And then I left that life behind me. I don't want to talk about it. And now, and now I'm a sheriff for this small town <laughs> no, in Texas. I'm a sheriff for this small town.
2: Okay. We know, were, we know people in small towns in, in
0: Texas. They don't like any foreigners. Well, so. I think that does... Uh, Nod to the fact that we knew him from Pumping Iron, maybe even on talk show appearances. He, be, he was a personality first, so we kind of dis, dismissed all that when we're watching him in a movie. We know that uh, that's just really kind of a contrivance, and he's, right. he's going to be this entertainer.
1: And I think it's interesting that he, other than term, the first Terminator movie, he never played bad guys, which you would think would be like like the, the, the career path for an actor coming as a bodybuilder, like kind of big, muscly, kind of yeah. henchman type, you know, in a, there's a parallel universe where he's the henchman, and he's Carl mm-hmm. in Die
2: Hard. Yeah, he never, he never get, yeah, yeah, he never gets off, off of the role of being the big bad. Yeah. Right. It's so, you know, again, just charisma, I guess. And for being a good guy, um, he holds the record. I looked up uh, some Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger facts. Did you go to Schwarzeneggerfacts. dot org? The only one. The only one that I care to relate is that um, he has punched the most animals in movies. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Punched two dogs, two camels, and a
0: reindeer. Do you know who's close second? Sarah Jessica Parker. Will no. Will Ferrell. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Who the hell knows? Is this the the PETA website that's <laughs> tracking all these? Also punched Will Chamberlain, which is kind of like an animal. <laughs> okay, Big,
1: Richard, wrap cat. it up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. It. Um, my last uh, choice is Arlie Ermy. Oh, that's a fun one. The gunneries, mostly known as Gunnery Sergeant Hartman from Full Metal Jacket, who was cast in the movie um, because he was actually a consultant for the movie because he had been, in fact, a former drill sergeant who had uh, trained people who were going in, you know, soldiers, draftees, who were going into Vietnam and actually spent then spent time in Vietnam. And... As he was starting to prepare the actors, he, at some point during the pre production, uh, Stanley Kubrick hears him do like basically an improv sort of rant as a drill instructor, like just berating some poor actor or whatever, and says, You know what? I don't know who I had cast to do this, but this is the guy. I need him.
0: Vincent D'Onofrio, you are a fat (laughs) fuck. Why are you so fat? Oh, they cast me because I'm fat. And I actually had to gain gain 20 more pounds. Well, you're fat, fuck.
1: Well, you're still going to be fat. Um, And was so good at it that he was basically the. So Paul Lynn lost the role. (laughs) Paul Lynn had it. Now, let me tell you something, Joker. You are a Joker. (laughs) Private Joker. Private Joker. I hate people. Was so good at just, you know, basically creating these. You know this this character because he knew that character because he partially was that character. That Stanley Kubrick let him improv. Yeah, and said that basically like half of his dialogue all was any of the insults and stuff. Mm-hmm. That all came from uh, Arlie Ermey. Wow, that was that was improv stuff. And and Kubrick never let anybody improv. Yeah, yeah, he was one of those directors who was like, this is how it's written, and this is the way we do it. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he trusted Arlie Ermey, yeah. someone who had never really acted before. To be able to pull this off. And mm-hmm. then the fact that he then created one of the
2: most iconic His, characters yeah. in like 80s or war movie history. His improv group Wildcats really was good though.
0: <laughs> they, that,
2: re- they really took Chicago by storm.
1: That, that's way too, that's way too uh, sensical of a name for an <laughs> improv company.
0: You know that. We've discussed this. Um, and choke yourself with my hand. Any <laughs> suggestions? I right, have a suggestion of a location you might choke someone with your own hand.
1: Yes, please, <laughs> sir. Um, and then he, you know, he was able to just create a whole career out of being Arlie Ermy for uh-huh. the most part. I mean he he has had he did a couple of roles that weren't. Um, he was, I think, the the lead or the M- Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt's boss in Seven, hmm. and he's playing a more Subdued version, yeah. of himself, yeah. One of my, which does have, I think, my favorite, one of my favorite little tiny scenes in a movie is they're like showing him like, you see, this one was gluttony, and uh, this one was you know, all, all going through mm-hmm. all the, the sins, and Arlene and are sitting there while listening to them, and the phone rings at the desk, and he stops, picks up, and goes, "I'm not even at I, this. Isn't even my desk." just takes the phone back up and <laughs> continues on and it's just a perfect line reading for it and you know it's just this is just a guy who was yeah. good at one thing and just fell into this career and now has you know made 30 or 40 movies and mm-hmm. has TV shows that he hosts because he's Arlie Ermey and because yeah. he's done all this stuff I mean somebody who just in his I do know what 50s or whatever he was at the time mm-hmm. just sort of it happened for
2: him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That That's funny. I don't know what made me flash on that, but these performers who refused to really change who they were for the role, and they got right. cast because of their uh, undestructible authenticity. And I think of um, Levon Helm had a lot of roles like that. Sure. I think of how authentic he was in The Right Stuff. He just felt like he was that guy. Or a coal miner's daughter. Or coal Yeah, you felt like there was nothing that was going to change he just had so much authenticism, You almost didn't need a set because that he guy, was.
1: If you cut him, he would practically bleed like yeah. a red red dirt. Yeah, yeah. You know. I feel
0: like like with a guy like who wasn't necessarily came from another field. Michael Rooker has that kind of authenticity to right. him. You know, so guys, we went on a really incredible journey here, and now I have the dubious honor uh, role. I have the dubious role of trying to kind of pick. So I'm just going to wing it here. I'm just going to pick some things that I thought were kind of really fun pulls. And Arlie Ermy's one of them. You're uh, damn right it is, son. <laughs> Carrie Brownstein, that's one of them.
1: You're damn right she is, son.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I got to say, uh, Goodenough, Alexander Goodenough. That's one that Was I really That's just dug. good enough for you. It's good enough for me. And um, just because he's the chairman Francis, Francis Albertson because he's the chairman he's the chairman. rock yeah the rock <laughs> so uh, we, we tie it on that one guys this has been Matt Rushmore I am always a banjo player turned judge Jeff Hopkins and I am race car driver turned celebrity chef turned
2: podcast Richard. I'm Michael In the year of our Lord, 2054, crime had become an awful chore. So some science guys hatched up a plan and put the power back with the man. They used the brains of these three pre pre-cogs. two guys with a chick who floated like logs. In the temple, they used their mind and created the murderer catching department pre-crime. These guys, they were so sick, they caught everyone. God, that doesn't, nah, good. that's good, that's
0: fucking good, man.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, Minority Report. Uh, oh, cool J does that, right? Oh, I didn't it'll, get to the it'll, part it'll, where I mentioned Red Ball.